You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Luke tells us the news about him spread all the more, so crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places where he prayed because that was the center of his life. That was the key to his life and ministry. And I hope you'll learn, I hope you'll learn it's the key to your life as a Christian. This thing called prayer, I mean, what an amazing privilege. Prayer, it's just, it's mysterious. Fascinating. In our flawed human logic, Jesus' use of time during his earthly ministry wasn't very efficient. His mission was to bring salvation to man, and he only had 33 years. So why did he spend so much time in prayer to his father? Couldn't he have just waited until after he finished out his mission to have that time in communion? As Pastor Danny will explain in today's message, prayer was a crucial aspect of Jesus' earthly existence. Though he was God, he was also man, and he needed that time to rest and be renewed. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 1, as he begins his message, Potential of Powerful Prayer. Mark chapter 1 is where we are today. Verse 21, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. The teachers of the law taught a lot of religious tradition. Unfortunately, the teachers of the law are still with us today. I'm not going to name any groups of believers this morning. That's not the purpose, but there are still churches that are teaching tradition rather than the word of God. You teach the word of God, you can teach with authority. You teach tradition, that's not the authority of the word of God. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And I love Jesus' response. Shut up. That's what he said. And my translation says, be quiet, but it's the same thing. (laughs) Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Now that's an exciting day at the synagogue. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever And they told Jesus about her, so he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, 
and she began to wait on them. If you're like me, you read that passage, and every time you read it, you wonder why Simon Peter didn't tell Jesus that his mother-in-law was sick. I'll just leave you with that one. If you're going to Israel with us, one of the sites we'll stop at is Capernaum. That's where they are. That's where Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. That's where Simon and Andrew live. They're fishermen. We'll visit the ruins of a synagogue, probably the synagogue we're reading about here, and literally a stone's throw away, even less than a stone's throw away, are the ruins of also a house. We know from the ruins and the things that archaeologists, those guys had discovered, <laughs> that fishermen lived at this house, and they believe it's probably Simon and Andrew's home, right there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So if you're going to Israel with us, you can look forward to that. If you don't have the money to go, you get the free trip when Jesus comes. <laughs> that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, so there's a crowd. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. In the midst of all this happening, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. In other words, where, where, where are you? What are you doing? He's praying. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach to them also. That's why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, lepers in the day were required to let people know if they came into a public area so that you could avoid them. Jesus not only does not avoid this leper, he does something that's unheard of in this day. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. He touched the man who's a leper. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Imagine you're the leper. Here's what Jesus says after he heals you. Jesus sent him away and at once with a strong warning said, see that you don't tell this to anyone. Wait a minute, you're a leper? He just healed you and now you're gonna keep your mouth shut? But, Go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them, to them. So not just one priest, the leadership, and they are going to inquire, how in the world are you cleansed, cleansed from your leprosy? And he's going to say it was Jesus. So as a testimony that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, something the Jewish leadership did not believe that's the intention here, to be a testimony. But instead of doing what Jesus said, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now, before you go home, put up a dartboard with leper in the bullseye 
look in the mirror because this guy did not do what Jesus said. He's so excited he can't help but tell people what Jesus has done for him. But the ultimate irony, Jesus says to us, now go tell everybody you can what I've done for you. And it's hard to get most professing Christians to share Jesus publicly. The ultimate irony. I was led in the text in a way I wasn't expecting to be led. I agonized. I'm not looking for sympathy. It's just, it's just reality. I, I spent a lot of time pre- preparing every week, but I spent more time than normal uh, because I was going in so many different directions. Lord, what are you saying and what do you want to say from this text? What is it you want us to get for this period of time from this text. And I agonized and I studied and studied and I was going so many different directions. And my wife knew I was agonizing and she asked me how I was doing. And, and I told her, of course, as I normally do when I struggle. And she said, I'm really looking forward to hearing the message tomorrow. She said this to me yesterday afternoon uh, when I was still struggling. She said, I'm really looking forward to hearing the message because when you agonize and struggle like that, I know it's going to be a good message from the Lord. I said, you're a very nice person. But don't get your hopes up. But as John MacArthur said years ago at a conference I was at, and one thing I took away from a question and answer session with John MacArthur, somebody asked him about his study time and how does he come up and do it every week, you know, and teach like he does. And he said, you keep your derriere in the chair until the job is done. Very spiritual words. But I won't finish what God gave me today. And that's, that's not normal, uh, but that's just the way it is. And I, and I hope I'll be able to end at a point I ended at uh, last service because it was a good stopping point until next weekend. But just understand, we're just getting started. And I don't apologize for going slow through the gospel of Mark. It's just the way the Lord is leading me. Because the one scripture in the context here that he, he just brought me back to again and again and again, verses 35 to 37, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And of course, his disciples come and say, everybody's looking for you. And of course, everybody's looking for him. Look at what happens. I mean, basically overnight as Jesus launches his public ministry, And miracles are happening and people are being healed and his teaching in the synagogue is different from teaching they're used to and evil spirits are being driven out of people. I mean, folks, will you appreciate that this kind of stuff does not happen on a daily basis? And some people think it should. And I want to see more of a demonstrative, miraculous kind of a thing through the church today, through our church, through the church in America, around the world. I want that. I know you want that. But I hope you'll understand, I believe that the miracles we're reading about here in Mark chapter 1 were unique. Not that God's not doing miracles today. There are two camps, and there's one camp that believes kind of that God should be doing miracles and everybody should be healed. And if you're not healed, it's just a lack of faith or something else, sin in your life. And I don't think that's a biblical theology. But there's another camp that believes that God's done with miracles for now, you know, and he doesn't have what's called the gifts of the Spirit operating today. And so there are two camps, one that doesn't really believe and expect the miraculous and the other that expects it all the time. And I think the truth is somewhere in between. 
Hebrews 2 says, God testified to the gospel by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. So this is something unique, I believe, but at the same time, God's doing miracles. But in the context of all these miraculous, powerful things happening, right in the middle of it, right in the heart of it, we have the statement that Jesus, in the midst of all this demand for his time, his attention, because miracles are happening, and you got a need, come to Jesus. And yet he withdraws. Not only this time. Luke tells us the news about him spread all the more, so crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places where he prayed, because that was the center of his life. That was the key to his life and ministry. And I hope you'll learn, I hope you'll learn it's the key to your life as a Christian. This thing called prayer, I mean, what an amazing privilege. Prayer. It's just, it's mysterious, fascinating. There was something about Jesus' prayer life. Just like everything else that, you know, when he came on the scene and people go, what is this? A new teaching with authority and, and the things he was doing and, and his life. And, and the disciples, of course, they got, they got a glimpse of Jesus that other people did not have the privilege of, of getting because they saw him in private areas. They saw him in personal times. They saw him. They witnessed. And one of the things they saw was the way he prayed. And when they saw how he prayed, you know what they asked him? They said, Lord, teach us to pray. They heard Jewish leaders praying, you know, and they prayed with big words. They prayed long prayers, you know, and people were impressed by them. But something about Jesus was different. I mean, there was a connection. It wasn't just words toward the sky. I mean, there was something about his prayer. And that's why they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. You know how he answered that question, that request? And we're not going to get into the details of it today, but we will before we're done. Here's what he said. When you pray, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one or evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now we call it the Lord's Prayer. But there is one segment of that prayer that has nothing to do with being the Lord's Prayer because Jesus never had to pray to the Father, forgive me. (laughs) Help me to forgive others as you forgive me. It is a pattern for prayer. Now... To say the Lord's Prayer in prayer, there's nothing wrong with it. I say it pretty much every morning. But if it just becomes a religious routine, then it's not doing a whole lot of good, is it? No religious routine that has no real connection or meaning uh, does any of us any good. But I say it pretty much every morning, and I don't do it as a routine. I do it just because it means something to me. But we learn from it, too. We won't get to all that today, certainly not. But the disciples did learn. They learned how to pray. And as they learned how to pray, they became examples. And they taught others how to pray. We want to learn how to pray, biblically. Biblically. 
Acts 1 verse 14 says the early church, 120 people, they joined together constantly in prayer. Day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit falls. Peter gets up. He shares the gospel. 3,000 people get saved. Now there's 3,120 people. Here's what it says about those people. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. My prayer, and I mean this with every fiber of my being, I pray that through our time in this text and this subject that we'll take a step as a church fellowship to become more of a praying church and not just a church that prays. And there is a difference. All through the book of Acts, prayer, central. Supreme Court threatens these guys, beats these guys, say, you don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. They went away. What did they do? They called a prayer meeting. That's what they did. You get threatened by the Supreme Court like they did. You get beaten like they did. Guess what? It'll help your prayer life. They prayed and God answered. And all throughout the book of Acts, you get to Acts 16, Paul and his ministry companions. They're always looking for a place to pray. They're in Philippi. They get locked up. They're in the stocks, in the inner part of the jail. If you know the story, they're singing, they're worshiping, and they're praying. And God shakes the foundations of the foundation of the prison. Prison doors fly open. Prisoners' chains come off. God sets people free because he has a couple of servants, a couple of believers who know how to worship, and they have worship-based prayer. And God moves. Colossians 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Fascinating prayer. We don't have time to turn to these scriptures. Please just, just be alert. For a few moments, just be alert. Genesis 18 and 19, Abraham prays for his nephew. His nephew, Lot. Lot began his faith journey along with his uncle Abraham, uh, but because God blessed them both so much, their shepherds, uh, their herdsmen are quarreling about, you know, not enough for both Abraham's people and Abraham's flock and Lot's people and Lot's flock, so they part ways. Lot ends up pitching his tent near Sodom. The tent life is representative of the faith life. They don't get your roots down too deep here because this is not your home. But Lot, over time, uh, left the tent, moved into Sodom. In time, not only living in Sodom, became a leader in Sodom, but he's a saved man. We know that from the scriptures. But he's a compromising saved man. God reveals to Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So what does Abraham do? He knows Lot is living in Sodom, along with his life, wife, along with the, the family. And so Abraham begins to pray, intercede on behalf of Lot. And God will not destroy Sodom until Lot is safe out of Sodom. Prayer works. Genesis 20 is fascinating. Abraham, imperfect, goes down to Egypt, not at God's command. He gets in trouble down in Egypt because uh, kings in that day, they had harems. And if they saw a good-looking woman, they could use their power and just take that woman. If she's married, they could kill the husband and take the wife 
for themselves. Abraham's concerned about this. So he says to his wife, Sarah, when we get down to Egypt, say you're my sister. Lie. Sarah does so. God brings the whole failure to light to the king. Abimelech is his name. When the whole thing is brought to light, then despite Abraham's failure, now that it's brought to light and out in the open, it says that Abraham prays for King Abimelech. God had closed the wombs of the women there. And through Abraham's prayer, God opens their womb again. Wow, prayer. In Exodus 8, when God sends Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, Remember, he sends these plague, plague after plague. And Pharaoh gets concerned about the plague, and he will say to Moses, pray to the Lord, get rid of this, the plague of frogs. Verse 12, chapter 8 of Exodus, after Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs were gone. God killed all the frogs. Chapter 8, Exodus the plague of flies. Pharaoh complained, says, pray to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained in Egypt. Don't you wish you could get rid of flies in your place like that? You get to Exodus chapter 9, verse 33, the plague of hail. Then Moses left Pharaoh, went out of the city. He spread out his hands toward the Lord, and the thunder and hail stopped, and the rain no longer poured on the land. Chapter 10, verses 18 and 19, the plague of locusts, same thing. Moses left Pharaoh, prayed to the Lord, and the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. God listened to Moses and did what he asked. Moses repeatedly prayed for the Israelites. God said, Moses, just get out of the way. I'll destroy them and I'll start all over with just you. And Moses interceded and God said, okay, I won't destroy them. Deuteronomy 9 verse 20, the Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. But at that time, Moses said, I prayed for Aaron too. Joshua 10 is one of the most fascinating records of what God did through someone's prayer in all of the Bible. Joshua is now leading the children of Israel. They are in the land of promise, but there's still enemies in the land of promise. An enemy comes against them as they often did. And Joshua goes before the Lord and he prays. Here's his prayers recorded in Joshua chapter 10. O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. That's where the battle is raging. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man through prayer. First Kings 17, God uses the prophet Elijah to raise a widow's son from the dead. 1 Kings 18, Elijah goes out and stands before 850 false prophets. They are praying because the deal they have with Elijah is the God who answers by fire. He's the true God. So they're crying out to their gods, but nothing happens. The day is lingering on. They get serious, so serious, they begin to cut themselves, and they're running around like frantic 
crazy people, you know, calling out to their gods, but nothing happens. Now it's Elijah's turn. Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word. In this study of the book of Mark, Pastor Danny has been unpacking how time and time again, Jesus showed himself as a servant throughout his life here on earth. He was a prime example of what we should strive for as we live our days to the best of our ability. Most times, serving comes at a cost or a sacrifice for those you're serving, but it's worth it in the end. Jesus exemplified this with his sacrifice on the cross, serving us in the most ultimate life-altering way. We trust that this gives you hope, perseverance, and an ambition to serve those around you in a way that reflects Jesus to others. If you want to hear this teaching in the Book of Mark again, you'll find it by visiting our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. You can also connect with us through social media. Look for links to Facebook, Instagram, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you'll be notified as soon as we upload new videos. We also invite you to join our Bible reading program. Also under the Resources tab at ccfstpete.church. If you're looking for a church, we'd be happy to meet you at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. All the information you need is at ccfstpete.church, along with links to join us through the live stream. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in and learning more on The Living Word.